coming up this week on Breaking Badness. Today we discuss, it's all good faith. The DOJ announces policy revisions. Next up, the spoof is in the pudding. And of course, our fun game, Two Truths and a Lie. With that, Breaking Badness is next. Welcome to Breaking Badness, episode number 122, recorded on May 23rd, 2022. I'm your co-host, Kelsey, all puns blazing, LaBelle. With me, co-host Tim, this one should not go to 11, Helming. And special guest we have on board with us this week, Ian, safety third, Campbell. Welcome, everybody. Ian, great to have you here. Thank you, thank you. Honored to be We've here. We've been waiting. Yes, we've been waiting for this moment. And you've come on like a very lucky episode number, I feel like. 122 in 2022 is a lot of twos. I know. I was good. about to say something about that also. It, uh, I was going to say something about that too. And I missed <laughs> that opportunity. It's uh, too it's, good to be true. We kind of almost should have recorded this yesterday oh. on uh, May 22. Episode just, 122, May 22, yeah. 2022. Well, when we get to, you know what? We should really hustle and do some extra shows so that we can get to episode 222 while we're still in 2022. Oh. What do you think? <laughs> or we could just record it ahead of time as a time capsule. Yeah. What, instead, we can just predict the future and see how accurate or inaccurate <laughs> our thoughts were. JavaScript still sucks. Oh, hey, I, I trust your intuition there. So, <laughs> oh, you're ah. gonna do just fine here. Oh yeah, a place where you belong by a thousand times, Ian. We're so happy to have you on here. Well, as many folks know that tune in, we've got we've got a structure here, breaking badness. We're gonna walk through two different articles, headlines from this last week, and then we're gonna play our fun game, Two Truths and a Lie. So uh, the first one we have is, it's all good faith. And this is the Department of Justice announced the revision of its policy regarding charging violations of the Computer Fraud and Abuse Act, which is good old acronym there, CFAA. So Ian, sounds like some good news. Um, for those who may not be aware, can you give us some insight into what the policy was before this change? So it's worth starting out with that boring preface that I'm not a lawyer, just a humble security engineer. So take uh, everything that follows for what it's worth. Um, in its analysis of the uh, Department of Justice change a few days ago, Andrew Crocker, the Electronic Fr Frontier Foundation, accurately described the CFAA as the notoriously vague anti-hacking law. The CFAA itself states that whoever knowingly accesses a computer without or exceeding authorization and obtains information, causes damage, or supports a fraud from a protected computer is in violation of the statute. And while there are a few qualifiers, it's written and been prosecuted in an incredibly overbroad manner that has empowered government and private institutions to wave it around like a big old club with which to batter anyone it chooses. So uh, in cases over the past few years, the law's scope has been limited, but previous to that, obtaining information using access you had legally or violating the, the terms of service 
for something you, uh, for something could put you in violation of the CFAA. And who reads the terms of service anymore? Ian, I have to enjoy the irony of you describing yourself as a non-lawyer type with the use of fine print. I mean, that was such a like a pure lawyer move. I don't know if I can believe that you're not, in fact, a lawyer. <laughs> well, uh, with, with security, it's usually fine print all the way down. So I have some practice. <laughs> Sorry, turtles. You lost your you lost your gig. It's fine print. Fine print all the way down. I like it. Well, this this release points out that, quote unquote, good faith security research should not be charged. But that seems like a definition that could be rather subjective or broad, to your point, Ian. So do you have some examples of what could be under the umbrella of this, quote unquote, good faith research? So the policy that the DOJ just announced lays out protections for what they describe as good faith testing, investigation, and or correction of a security flaw or vulnerability carried out in such a way as to minimize harm, promote security of the underlying device, service, or user. It also adopts the definition of good faith from the Digital Millennium uh, Copyright Act. And that's a piece of legislation that obviously doesn't uh, lead to warm, fuzzy feelings in the security community either. The policy lays out in some, uh, in some specific scenarios that they won't prosecute if they interpret, if the DOJ interprets the situation to be a simple terms of service violation or violates what's considered authorized network access to the outside internet while at work and browsing, say, social media. Should be noted that most of the scenarios the DOJ lays out have uh, already been narrowed in case law, and few have to do with security research. The particular opening I see for us is the references to breaking terms of service as not violating CFAA. This empowers, in particular, the ability to scrape and analyze public websites for us and generate data intelligence from that. And it relates back to the cases where companies like Craigslist, LinkedIn, and others threatened or sued other companies for practices they didn't like. Some were predatory, some were legitimate forms of research. All right, Ian, when you said the words digital millennium, all I could think about is the, two, the year 2000, the Guinness Book of World Records, and that bright silver cover. Does anybody else know what I'm talking about, or am, am I alone on my own little Guinness Book of World Record island here? I think you're alone on that one. <laughs> you might need to find a volleyball. Okay, you all need to, everybody that's listening in, if you're at a machine, you need to Google 2000 Guinness Book of World Record. And this cover, I just like, you, you can't, for this is an unforgettable cover, and they're selling it on eBay for $2, so... You know, if you're trying to sell off your Beanie Babies, go ahead and sell off your Guinness Book of World Records at the same time. <laughs> You'll do good. That that sound investment. This week on we Collectibles promised. with Breaking Badness. <laughs> we have to hit our potpourri. It's not Breaking Badness without potpourri. It's just, it's not right. <laughs> you know, there's as long as we're not talking that. NFTs, I mean. <laughs> <laughs> It'd be kind of fun and ironic to turn that cover into an NFT. I don't know. I don't mind that the <laughs> potpourri craze died, by the way. You know, something didn't smell right with that craze. Didn't pass the sniff test. No, it did not. <laughs> Sorry, I'd comment, but I'm too busy snorting here. 
They could not sell the smell. Anyway, <laughs> so going back to this article, let's also be clear that this news does not mean that anyone can just claim to be, and asking for a friend, conducting security research and pass it off as good faith. Is, is that right, Ian? Well, actually, what you need is one of those high visibility neon uh, safety vests, and then you're all set. No, you got that uh, in a clipboard you can get in anywhere. Absolutely. <laughs> Um, you're, you're obviously correct. The scenarios that the Department of Justice presents are pretty narrow, and the definition of good faith, uh, again, relies on that DMCA definition. And the EFF and the, the analysis I talked about before notes it's both too narrow and too vague. In particular, it pro, uh, prohibits methods that circumvent technological protection measures. How much of security, measure, uh, how much of security research depends on that? Interesting. And I'm also noting the release states that the DOJ or Department of Justice was never, quote unquote, interested in prosecuting good faith computer research as a crime. But do you know of any instances that happened that would fall under that categorically? So that depends on your perspective and obviously your definition of good faith, but there have definitely been some uh, pretty notable cases where CFAA prosecutions were considered by many to be overly broad, malicious, or otherwise poor decisions. The most prominent of these is the case of Aaron Swartz, who was an internet pioneer in his own right. Uh, he uh, came up with the RSS protocol, among other things. Um, he was charged with CFA violations for mass downloading JSTOR articles through MIT, including using some workarounds to avoid the stumbling blocks that MIT IT put in his way. Uh, a lot of folks and many experts considered the prosecution to be pernicious and unnecessary, and even more so after Swartz's suicide, which resulted in the cases being dismissed. Um, there was also Sony versus George Hotz. Um, Joe Hot was a, uh, he was sued civilly under the CFAA for jailbreaking the PlayStation 3 to make it more useful. Uh, both parties settled out of court on that one, but uh, Joe Hotz's case in particular underlines the threats around security research and commercial devices, um, especially uh, medical devices as well. Uh, medical device companies are very, very uh, threatening and litigious from what I understand to the security community. Uh, CFA prosecution has been threatened a number of times by companies that consider security research or other forms of analysis to violate what they consider as authorized use of their product, service, or site. Uh, there are also rumblings in the data journalism world where website scraping or other techniques have elicited hostile threats, including a very public case lately, which an entire state apparatus mobilized to try and prosecute a journalist that used a web browser's view source function. Luckily, no uh, no prosecution resulted there, thanks to the outcry. Ian, to, to kind of put a bookend on this conversation, in your opinion, what does this do for our industry as a whole? Uh, what do you expect to see as an outcome from this change? So I suppose you could say this DOJ policy bridges where they were to uh, put them in in line with uh, CFAA case law at this point, because there have been a number of cases, uh, three taps, PMSI, LinkedIn, Bar, and especially uh, last year, Van Buren. It uh, lessens 
but doesn't remove the ridiculous threats around simply breaking a site's terms of service. We've got a long way to go, and there's still a whole lot of room for the CFA to be misused by government and corporations alike, but it's a step in the right direction, so I'll, I'll take it for what it's worth. Um, for a deeper dive, I would point folks to the EFF analysis from uh, Andrew Crocker and suggest researchers contact their own legal professionals as well, because we're not out of the hot water yet. Ian, I feel like my takeaway outside of the the knowledge you just dropped surrounding this revision is that if I ever need legal help, I'm probably going to call you first, for better or for worse. I feel like you've got your bearings on how to read this stuff and analyze it, which is pretty impressive. Hey, the best legal advice I can give, I'll give freely, which is don't get caught. <laughs> well said, well said. All right, so let's let's do our rating. And we do this after every article or headline that we read. And the goal is just to help ensure that you, the listener, understand, kind of relatively speaking, how good or bad um, that particular topic was. And so we have the, the hoodie rating, which is from 0 to 10. And 10 is very, very bad. 0 is basically neutral, and it's just playing off this cliche. It takes basically how many hackers it takes to change a light bulb, but to remediate something. So how many defenders do you really need to solve a problem? Obviously, more hoodies is a worse situation. And then the flip side of that is we call them goodies. And you can imagine whatever your happy place is here. Uh, for me, that's warm chocolate chip cookies, which I've recently learned about crumble cookies, um, which I believe I um, <laughs> sponsored one of our previous podcasts. They're really good cookies. Um, so that's that's what I like to imagine is warm, warm chocolate chip cookies. So anyway, Tim, with that being said, what would you rate this particular discussion at this week? Well, I, you know, this one really depends a lot on how prosecutors actually act going forward. So, but in general, I'm really supportive of this move. And so I'm, I'm going to give it six goodies. I think that, uh, you know, and, and I reserve the right to, in the future, ex post facto, raise my goodie rating if we see this used in the spirit that I think we're all hoping that it will be and don't see it abused. Um, so put me down for six warm, gooey chocolate chip goodies. Nom, 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 nom. Okay, done. <laughs> Ian, what do you think? What would you rate this at? I think I'm going to agree with Tim. I, uh, I I like the number six there. You know, it's it, it's not stellar, but it's past status quo, so I'm good with that. I'm going to eclipse your crumbling cookies though with air fried s'mores because I just got an air fryer, and the experiments have been oh. fantastic. Oh, oh that's really. Oh, that sounds yeah. Tell me s'more. <laughs> wow. Okay, I. I'd like to learn from your experimentation. That sounds delicious. I've never heard somebody talk about that before. My mind is blown. <laughs> My daughter came up with an innovation with s'mores when she was a kid. I'm trying to remember what it was. I think she like inserted the chocolate inside the marshmallow and then roasted oh. the marshmallow. Um, and I think that I think it was something like that. I you know they make those enormous marshmallows now. They're basically like two hockey pucks stacked on top of each other and the ingredients probably aren't that different between them and two hockey pucks either but they you know they taste pretty good anyway uh i think it was that but air fried 
S'mores sounds good. You know what else I learned about a couple of years ago? You'd never, never, ever would have thought about it, but grilled Fig Newtons. If you like what? the Fig Newton, do yourself a favor and throw a few of those on the grill sometime. And if you don't like them, you, you might like them if you try them that way. Do they call that Newton's theory? <laughs> uh, there's a lot of gravity to this discussion. <laughs> Wow. Um, how is it I always leave these uh, recording sessions pretty hungry? I, I don't know. <laughs> I, I don't know why that might be. <laughs> All right. Well, hey, Ian, thank you for your incredible analysis there. And we're going to take a brief moment here. And when we come back, we're going to talk about our second article for the week. All right, everybody, welcome back. Our second article today is The Spoof is in the Pudding. Now, just really briefly, a few episodes we talked uh, ago, excuse me, a few episodes ago, we talked about our friend Flula, our German comedic friend, and one of his idioms that he does pull apart is the proof is in the pudding. So this is, this is kind of brings us back. To, I think it was episode 120 that, so anyway, The Spoof is in the Pudding. Fraudulent domains masquerading as Microsoft Windows 11 download portal are attempting to trick users into deploying trojanized installation files to infect systems with the VIDAR information stealer malware. Um, I wish it was Vader because then it could be like, Luke, I am your malware. And it would all work. What I really want to know is how they could tell between the information stealer malware and all the telemetry that Windows is sending back by itself. Mm, you know, that's a really good point. Talk about getting lost in the uh, in the noise. Oh my gosh. Well, Tim, do you know how much I wanted to make a while my Vider gently weeps pun? You mean like while my Vidar? My Vidar. While my Vidar gently weeps. <laughs> uh, but I'm, I'm glad that you sang about it instead. That made it even better. So for the folks listening, can you start with some background on, maybe I'm saying this incorrectly, is it Vidar or Vidar malware? You say Vidar, I say Vidar. <laughs> Vidar, Vidar, Vidar. Like a Vidara, like radiant. a Vidora? <laughs> I don't know. Uh, I think I'm going to go with Vidar, and we're, we're happy to hear from our listeners if you want to correct us or, or Yeah, put that on our Vidar. doing this. Yeah. Uh, so the Vidar malware family, which was first identified in 2018, is capable of stealing sensitive data from the victim's computer, which includes, I don't know, trivial stuff like banking information, saved passwords, IP addresses, browser history, login credentials, and crypto wallets. Not that those are worth anything these days anyway. Sorry. Uh, which can then be transferred to the threat actor's command and control infrastructure. So... You know, it's not something you want to discover has been installed on your PC, to say the least, uh, especially when you were just trying to get yourself some Windows 11. <sighs> you know, there was Ocean's 11. No good deed goes unpunished. I, I don't yeah. know whether upgrading to Windows 11 can be considered a good deed or not. I don't have any personal dog in that fight. I do have a Windows 10 box that I have not upgraded to 11 yet. <gasps> well, don't, don't do it from here. <laughs> 
And I'm just curious, how exactly was this, uh, this threat discovered? Sure, yeah. So the kudos in this case go to the Threat Labs. That's labs with a Z or a Z, if you prefer. Uh, the research team there, uh, which is part of Zscaler or Zscaler. Uh, and you can see Threat Labs with a Z, Zscaler. See why they did that? Anyway, uh, what I love about this story uh, is that the way that they discovered this was via malicious domains, and the way they discovered said malicious domains was by monitoring network traffic. Uh, see, this is why everyone should be doing at least some level of network traffic analysis on domain names. Uh, you can find those domain names in your DNS resolver logs and or in your web proxy logs or SMTP logs, sometimes other places, like if you have one of those next generation firewalls or IDSs or maybe even your EDR. So anyway, we can all see now why this kind of analysis is so valuable. It's a great way to suss out traffic flows that you need to know about uh, as a network defender. So anyway, they discovered these domains with names like ms-win11.com or ms-win11.com. Uh, MidlandsCancer.com, which there, by the way, uh, Midlands Cancer, I believe, is a legitimate site that got compromised. And then that uh, ms-win11 subdomain was tacked on there. But the other ones, they registered uh, win11-serve4.com, etc. So uh, there's a bunch of these. You can see them in the show notes. And to a casual observer, uh, if you're seeing these domains in your browser window, uh, or if you're a casual security administrator that sees those names going by in the logs, they might not raise your suspicion, but they are definitely bad. And what Threat Labs discovered is that those domains are designed, when you actually see the, the page that appears to the user, they're designed to look just like real Windows 11 updater sites. But in fact, they're dishing out ISOs that contain VIDAR. And uh, basically, there's a, there's a big get Windows 11 splash screen, and then there's a download now button that does not download what the user thinks it downloads. Tim, would you say those domains are supposed to be official, but they vidarn it? Oh, vidarn it, you really got it. <laughs> Gosh, Ian's just a natural. <laughs> Absolutely. So is there anything Windows users can see before hitting that, that fun button, the download now, um, so they can prevent the attack? Or what's the recommendation there? Nope. Next question. <laughs> no, I mean, other other than noting that that URL is not an official Microsoft one, and many users might not be really familiar with what whether all of the domains that are legit Microsoft domains actually come under the registered domain Microsoft.com as a global umbrella, or whether they use you know a lot of other domains. Other than seeing the malicious uh, or the suspicious URL there, there's not a whole lot to see. And if you click it and you start downloading, the binary that it downloads is about 300 megs, uh, of which, by the way, only 3.3 or so is the actual VIDAR file. The rest of it is just a bunch of garbage padding. And that padding does make it harder for some inline scanners to scan. A lot of times those things have file size limits. Um, and if it's above a certain limit, it can be configured to either just pass the the file along or block it outright. But in a lot of cases, uh, help desks will get complaints if they block them. So they probably have them open. Uh, and so they it passes right past the scanning. And that 300 meg file size probably also makes it a little more realistic to the user because you wouldn't expect the OS update to be like 
3.3 megs, if that's all it was. So uh, I did not see um, in the research that I did on this what exactly the user sees after the download is complete. You know, do they go all the way through? Do they take this thing all the way to the house by um, put, having the correct installer, uh, install shield or whatever the new version of that is these days that comes up and walks you through it and then says, yay, you have Windows 11, which they probably would notice that they did not have. It probably does not say, yay, you installed Vidar, but uh, I don't know what that user experience is actually like once you've downloaded the thing. Now, I, I have a security recommendation that really works for myself here, and it's to mouse over any domain and sing to myself in the in, in, in Fergie's tune to Fergalicious is, is it malicious? Um, and that, man... That's gotten me through some hard, suspicious domain times. So uh, it's hard we, to forget. We're nothing if not all about practical advice here on Breaking <laughs> Badness. So that's excellent. We should work up a whole bunch of different songs that you can use as mnemonics for, for various security activities. Yeah, like security CPR, something with staying alive and that particular beats per, beats per minute. Oh, yeah, that's a you good know? one. We've got something. We're onto something. <laughs> We'll have it for you in an upcoming episode, I'm sure. Yeah, this it will be a karaoke version of <laughs> Breaking Badness. <laughs> Let's get her auto tune. That was an app that I downloaded in in college. There was a T Pain app, and it just auto tuned anything. Well, did you um, ever see Auto Tune the news? I did not. Oh, that was hilarious. I think it was a YouTube account or something like that, and they they played clips of. Usually it was political, you know, some politician making a speech or doing a press conference or something like that, but it was all auto-tuned. So, and then they'd put a groovy little beat uh, along with it, and it was pretty hilarious. They should have called that app, or they, they should create an app, or called the YouTube channel Total Clips of the Heart. And See, this is why, you know, everybody needs a Kelsey working for them. <laughs> in their marketing department or as their marketing function if they don't have a department. As long as there's a C-SPAN plugin, that's all I want from that. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> but that would just entirely change the whole process of watching C-SPAN. That would be amazing. Wow. Yeah, that's pretty good, Ian. <laughs> Actually, a see. lot of famous sports calls would probably be fairly great that way too. So much is more entertaining with auto-tune. Um, anyways, um, Tim, I know in this case, uh, or what we're talking about for this particular headline, this isn't the only attack this group is exercising right now. Is that right? No, that's right. Uh, they uh, So we know that in addition to spoofing Windows 11, they're also spoofing Adobe Photoshop and Microsoft Teams to deliver this same malware. Uh, I did not see any domain indicators given that were specifically imitating Adobe. I did see one that was called ms-team-app.net. Um, but for the Adobe one, uh, Threat Labs identified an attacker-controlled GitHub repository which hosts backdoored versions of the application Adobe Photoshop Creative Cloud, which um, is sort of uh, Creative Cloud is this umbrella that has all the different uh, Adobe Creative uh, software under it for their SaaS 
version of those. Anyway, they attribute that uh, backdoored version of Creative Cloud to the same threat actor. So, you know, in the Adobe case, it may be going on kind of in the background without the user having to click on that malicious link, um, unfortunately. Uh, but since we're talking about malicious domains here, it's also worth noting part of the, uh, the story here, which is some of the tooling in this campaign uses legitimate domains. So all of the binaries involved in the campaign fetch the IP addresses of the, the command and control servers from attacker-registered social media accounts on the Telegram and Mastodon networks. And we've seen this going on for years. Um, so, and that's one of the trickier kinds of traffic to spot, right? Like most companies aren't going to just across the board block uh, Telegram or Twitter. We've seen it on Twitter. I think we've seen it on Facebook, you know, uh, these, these bogus accounts that are then used as command and control. So this shows, I was singing the praises of network traffic analysis earlier, but this shows that, you know, uh, not all traffic analysis is created equal, unfortunately. So that traffic could be could be kind of tricky for you to suss out. Speaking of bridges, that message would be a perfect one for like the bridge of a song about network analysis. It's a good dissonance. <laughs> we clearly got it. You know, there's there's quite a music theme here to Breaking Badness. Maybe we need a companion podcast that's like all music. And that we'd call Breaking Sadness. <laughs> well, Tim, to... To finish this conversation up, this attack was identified, I believe, in April of 2022. But do we know the extent of the damage that's been done thus far? So we really don't. Um, now, I thought, wouldn't it be nice if all those phony download sites just had a sort of a 1995-style hit counter spinning up at the bottom of all the homepages, and we could just get on our isolated research VMs where we look at nasty things and take a look at the hit counter and see how many hits it's got. But no, it is hard to say how broad the reach of this thing is. The good news is that uh, almost all the phony download domains have been blocked on well-known industry block lists, uh, from what I can see. Now, one exception is that legitimate um, Midlands cancer, I think it was, uh, that seems to have been a compromised legit site. So um, that one's not on block lists, but hopefully at least that subdomain can be uh, uh, identified. Anyhow, um, so no, we don't know. We also don't know what other infrastructure the same actor or actors might be controlling. You know, if time permits, I'd love to open up a can of iris on this and see if I can map out the campaign a little more comprehensively. But at a quick look, um, it appears that the attacker kind of covered their tracks reasonably well from the domain infrastructure perspective. Um, so I can't really know without additional digging. But but no, we don't know a whole lot about how broadly this has spread. So ultimately, you know, the advice is don't use Telegram or Mastodon or Photoshop or upgrade your computer to Windows 11 or use Teams. No, I'm kidding. Uh, that's not the advice. But if you're an end user, you know, you do need to be really cautious about where you get your software updates. Uh, if you're a defender, you want to have ways of identifying sketchy domains on your network. Uh, it still does make sense uh, for a lot of folks if they have this capability to deny traffic to newly created domains. Um, because, you know, the likelihood of legitimate business traffic needing to get to a brand new domain is low enough that it could be worth it, you know, for a lot of organizations. They would take the hit of the occasional, and I really do think this would be occasional, even in a fairly big organization, occasional service desk call when someone can't get to a legitimate 
brand new domain. But we've seen this. A lot of shops will uh, have a, a policy of not trusting the newest domains. And so that kind of um, that kind of policy could help from an organizational perspective, uh, help protect folks against some of these, some of this infrastructure. Tim, before we do the, the hoodie readings, another bit, I feel like that would be fun for a show is like a slop sec meter. And oh yeah, it would range from, I'm trying to think of what the foil to this would be, but it'd be like sloppy Joe on the far right. And then what's like, what's the antithesis of a sloppy Joe food wise? What's it's the, like, like more sloppy? That's like ultimately, the or, least or the, you know, that's really clean, the, the least sloppy. What's the neatest? It's a neat food. food. Like, oh, this is. I mean, a piece of know. Wonder Bread doesn't make crumbs. <laughs> it doesn't make bread either. But <laughs> you know, who's counting? <laughs> anyway, don't don't hesitate to add us <laughs> if you have thoughts on that. I was like, I don't know. What's something that literally? Yeah, I mean, anyway. Yeah, I have lots of questions. It's like, what doesn't, what, even if you dropped it, it wouldn't do anything? I don't, I don't know. Anyway. Um, yeah, I, I want to suggest, still qualifies. Uh, I want to suggest Sloppy Joe to Gogurt. Because Ooh. Gogurt, it's all nice and, you know, packaged and it's going to be uh, uh, pretty uh, mess free and Sloppy Joes are just going to slop everywhere. That's pretty good. So, I like that. Yeah, the Sloppy Joe to Gogurt scale. And then we'd all have to figure out kind of what we personally felt like was in the middle. You know, mm. peanut butter and jelly. That's got to be somewhere in the middle there. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Um, <laughs> anyway, let's end here with our, our hearty ratings before we play Two Truths and a Lie. Um, Ian, why don't you go first? What would you rate this at? Well, I'd say it's pretty vidark and pretty vidaring. So I'm going to give it about <laughs> six hoodies. The numbers today are two and six. We, we just need a few more and then we'll win the lottery. <laughs> Tim, what would you rate this at? Would you agree you know, with that six figure? I'm going to, since we don't know how widely this is happening, I'm going to go a little bit lower on this one. And, uh, you know, we'll just see. I'm Put me down for four hoodies and... Um, yeah, we're going to have to keep our eye on it and see if this is super widespread or, you know, now that they lock down those domains. I, I'm sure that whoever's behind this isn't going to just stop now that they've, now that those domains are on block lists. But um, it's compared to some of the stuff we talk about, it doesn't seem too uh, sophisticated or impactful necessarily. That would be cold comfort to anybody that actually got nailed by this thing. But uh, yeah, put me down for four for now and, uh, We'll just have to see how it goes. You're right telling now, me... we, we are in the, the dark. <laughs> so are you saying that if we if we wrote them a strongly worded letter asking them to stop, they would they would not? Is that not how how we stop? Well, I mean, I I don't know how much that's been tried, honestly, <laughs> with these um, these threat actor groups. Also, does it does it have to be a postal letter to really have the most impact? And if so. You know, you got to get their address somewhere. That's true. Better to send through certified, just to be safe. You know, yes. Have record. Get that return receipt. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. Make sure they have your address too. <laughs> oh gosh. All right. Well, we're gonna break for just a moment here before we play our fun game, Two Truths and a Lie.
Excellent, excellent. Welcome back. Enough learning. Enough just highlighting what happened last week. Now we we play a game of deception. Just deceive one another um, through two truths and a lie, which is not dissimilar from the, the game you all grew up knowing and loving. Uh, but rather than talking about ourselves, instead we're going to read one of us co-hosts three headlines from the previous week. Two of those headlines are true. One didn't happen yet or lately, <laughs> as we always joke with these. Sometimes they are a prediction for the future. So anyway, there's, there's of course, uh, a point system. And Ian today is actually going to be playing on behalf of Taylor. Um, so I always like to, to present people with the opportunity for last-minute blackmail, if need be. Um, <laughs> if you have something you need from Taylor, ask for it now <laughs> before his points are on the line. Um, but I will be reading today's three headlines. Uh, Tim and Ian, are you ready? Let's have them. I'm ready as I'll ever be. <laughs> That's how I always feel about this, too. All right. Well, I'll give it our best shot. Here we go. Article number one. Microsoft adds blinds to Windows 11. Disables telemetry and subsystem for Android by default. Article number two. Millennials may know how to rotate PDFs, but threat actors know how to drop key logger malware leveraging them. And article number three. Conti, more like Countess, ransomware group back from the dead as they whip up more malicious infrastructure. I'm really mad at Conti about Costa Rica. I mean, of all the, of all the countries to pick on, really? It's a what did Costa Rica thing. ever do to them? Nothing. I don't know. I'm I'm just conting my blessings that it's not me. <laughs> you know, I I actually have a reason which may be wrong, but uh, I have a reason to think that the one about Conti actually is the lie here. So put me down for number three as the lie. Noted. I believe number one, because I don't think anybody wants to know uh, how much attack surface uh, Windows subsystem for Android uh, delivers. So I think that's going to be true. I think number two is going to be the lie. But by the way, uh, don't you love how we were just talking about how much noise level there is from all that telemetry that goes back to Microsoft? And now, you know, assuming that one isn't the lie, they're actually cutting down on some of that. The funny part about that is Microsoft actually used to use noise to weed out uh, infections. They uh, used to use, uh, they used to convert uh, the sounds of data traffic into noise and try to find patterns in that to indicate compromised servers. Did it work? Or did they just finally figure out that all the servers were compromised so it didn't really tell them anything? I haven't heard any follow-ups from it. It was probably a good like five years ago, but I bet there's a great Aphex Twin album coming out of it. <laughs> One of our um, uh, engineers from way back in the day did a blog called The Sounds of DNS. And I'm trying to remember how he structured this, but he definitely played off this idea of noise. I wonder if I can find it somewhere, but that's, that's interesting. I don't yeah. remember that one. I'll have to go find it. Yeah. 
Well, are you too ready to to know which is in fact a lie? Only if I'm right off. Tim, you're right. Conti actually has supposedly um, disappeared. They've actually pulled all of their infrastructure offline, supposedly. Um, But there were threat actors using that funneled keylogger malware technique with PDFs, unfortunately, in this last week. I'll try to, I need to figure out which uh, group or actor that was. Um, I had it pulled up here a few minutes ago, but that unfortunately is true, as is, uh, in in better news, Microsoft did uh, disable the telemetry and subsystem for Android by default. See, so even though it's a Monday, it ain't all bad. That's right. (laughs) I'm I'm going to have to check eBay. I bet you could get some of that ransomware group's office supplies at a cheap discount. (laughs) (laughs) You know what I always thought? Did they count their chickens before they hatched? That wasn't wrong. Ooh, ooh, that's good. That's going to be an article title or an episode title soon. But of course, you know, Conti did rebrand. So as as they like to do, there, there's the evolution. They they like uh, kind of broke themselves into smaller pieces and rebranded is kind of what it seems like. So I we'll hope they've been watching some of these like period dramas on TV and they'll call themselves Viconti. Oh, <laughs> oh my gosh. Too good. All right, well, folks, that's that's all we have for this week. Ian, thank you so much for joining us. We had an absolute blast with you. Yes. Thank you for having this me. Awesome. It's fantastic to be on. Any I'm sure time. it won't be your last. <laughs> Excellent. Well, we will be back in not one but two weeks, and you're going to have a special surprise hosting situation i will say for that episode we will be celebrating um or i should say observing memorial day here so we will not be back for episode 123 next week but we'll be back the following week so we look forward to seeing you all then also if you are headed to rsa um i will be there you can come find me at the domain tools booth you can tweet tweet at me um i'm puns and roses will you be there with uh, breaking badness stickers I might. I have to look and see if I have any more. But if I do, I will be sure to bring some. So, um, and if if you want one and you catch me, let me know, and I'll make sure I get one to you. If Those I don't are hot. have that one, that was on a hand. limited edition run, you know. So it was get them while you can. Yeah, yeah. I'm staring at. I have got a few on my uh, my audio box here, and they they're they're good stickers. I will say they're matte. I like the matte stickers. Personally. I think I heard That's- Tom Hanks has one up in his uh, in his trailer there he does on the, uh, on the set it's actually one of his green room requests so that's why we don't have as many as we no, used he to. puts that way down in his contract right yeah yeah yeah, like yeah, the, yeah the green m&ms or whatever it was yeah breaking bad in a sticker <laughs> it's just because he's a fan of top pun <laughs> all right you too well thanks for another great episode and we'll be back here in a few weeks be safe everybody enjoy rsa Hope to see you there if you're around. Later. Goodbye now. That's about all we have for this week. You can find us on Twitter at Domain Tools. 
All of the articles and IOCs mentioned today will be included in our blog post, which can be found at domaintools.com slash resources slash podcasts. Catch us every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific time when we publish our podcast and blog. We'll see you next week on another episode of Breaking Badness. Until then, remember, don't drink and click. <laughs>